again for giving me the opportunity to speak today. Isn't it crazy how close, how just like spring kind of snuck up on us just recently this week? It's like went down to the park with our family. It was just packed out. And Easter is just weeks away. It's just kind of like us as the kids department, we're in full-blown Easter mode. Last year, we were announced to take over as the kids' pastors a couple weeks before Easter, but really the planning was kind of a mix between us and the person who preceded us. But this year, it's like, it's all us. So we made it an executive decision where we tripled the amount of eggs that we're giving away. We have 4,500 eggs that we've got that we're giving out. We have an egg hunt here that we're going to have. People from the community just come in, our kids here. We just want them to be packed with eggs, so much that they can't even hold. I mean, our, our mission statement as a children's department is to welcome kids in Jesus' name. And we want kids to feel welcomed. And of course, we know that the point of Easter is not the egg hunt. It's for us to give the gospel to kids who have maybe never heard it before. To allow a chance for kids to respond. But when you're eight, it's a little bit about the eggs. Let's be honest. So we're going we're gonna to welcome them in. It's, we're super excited for everything that we're doing there. Um, and I, I just wanted to say as a kids pastor, I just want to just say a big thank you. If you're on the kids team, uh, one fear as the kids pastor is always making sure that we have enough people to fill up especially on Easter Sunday, all the volunteer spots and everything. But our team just stood up and just everybody, people who haven't served in a while have offered to serve. People have offered to come all day. Who literally will, I'll be back there all Easter Sunday just to bless the community here. So I just want to thank you, everyone on the kids team. Um, and if you don't have a team and if you're passionate about kids, always come talk to me. We're in the process of revamping our elementary class. Um, I mentioned about a month ago, one thing that we wanted to do is bring the elementary students in here during work. Because we believe that kids need to see us worshiping. I, I can teach my kids how to worship, but I want them to see you guys worshiping. I have kids in elementary class. So we're going to be doing that starting April 8th. They're going to be in here. And so we're just excited about where we're going. But if you're passionate about elementary, especially fourth and fifth grade, come talk to me. I mean, we're in the process of revamping it, and we just like to hear ideas and everything, what, what we're doing as a kids department. Amen. I'll, I'll say amen to that. Um, so today I'm preaching uh, out of the book of Joel, and Joel is my favorite book of the Bible. And I know what you may be thinking, it's usually what I think, is it really your favorite book of the Bible? Have you ever heard somebody say that, like preaching, like, oh, this is my favorite verse, this is my favorite thing, and it might just be the cynic in me, where I could just kind of sit and be like, is it, is it, I mean, it's all good, right? The Bible, it's all good, you can all preach out of it, but... A funny story about our kids. I have four kids. My youngest son, uh, was. we had an interesting experience with him at the hospital. All of our other kids, we had chosen our names years or even months before. And we had the perfect, for our last kid, our fourth, we had the perfect girl name. Well, he's obviously a boy. And we, when we found out he was going to be a boy, we were just kind of struggling. And we said, you know what? Well, I'm sure it will come to us in, in the night. And as we get closer, it's really not coming to us. And I told Gina, I said, you know what, why don't we do it kind of Bible style where he's born and we just look at him. And I just know we had a list of like four or five ideas. And once we see him, I just know that we're going to see him and just know what his name's going to be. So after he was born, I look at him and I'm like, you got anything, Gina? She's like, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> so we're like, so we talked to the hospital, like, how long do we have until they're like, well, you can get son home and come back. So baby Erickson, our fourth, did not have a name till like day three. When we went home from the hospital, it's a weird experience to have a baby at home from the hospital and not yet named. And as we're driving into the hospital, 
Finally, Gina just said, you decide. And I said, you know what? My favorite book of the Bible is Joel, so let's just call him Joel. And so we have Joel Erickson, our youngest. So all that to say, I have evidence that this is my favorite book. Um, (laughs) I love the book of Joel because it is a story of God's restoration to his people. Because the people of Israel were faced with a crisis, a crisis so bad it could wipe them off the face of the earth. A crisis that other civilizations have just been gone in an instant. And you see God's heart towards his people, that it's soft. And throughout the sin and throughout the the muck that the people get themselves into, God responds and he restores his people. It's an amazing promise. When you think of the word restoration, what do you think of? It's probably similar to what I think of. Like you get a car, right? I want to restore a car. So your goal is, I want to make this car look as good as it did the day it was built. I want to bring it back to its former glory. Or you have a painting that's hundreds of years old and it's just dirty and kind of cracked. And when you restore a painting, you're like, I want to make it look as good as it did before. As if all this time hadn't had elapsed. And when we pray to God for restoration, I think that's what we think of. Saying, God, make it as if it didn't happen. Return me back to where I was. But that's not God's view of restoration. God's view is so much better. So much better. It's a promise that's crazy. A promise that, you ever hold on to those times? When you're going through issues or life and you have these fantastical promises in the Bible and you're like, I don't know how this can be true, but I'm holding on to it. That's why I love the book of Joel. It's a fantastical promise that he comes through on. So despite the pain, despite the devastation that they're facing, God loves his people. So we're going to set up and I'm going to start reading uh, our passage here. I'd like to set up, just kind of provide some context of where we're at. You have the people of God. God came to Abraham and said, I will make you into a great nation. I will be your God. You will be my people. And then Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. So Jacob was Abraham's grandson who wrestled with God. He had an encounter with God and he wrestled with him. And at that moment, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And then you get the Israelites, those who are born of Israel, who is Abraham's grandson. Israel, the name, literally means one who struggles with God. Think about that for a moment. The Israelites, God's chosen people, their name means the ones who struggle with God. I take solace in that. That just because you are one or you are a people who struggles with God, that does not preclude you from being chosen. And I'll tell you what, the Israelites through their history, they definitely live up to their namesake. You see throughout the entire Old Testament, they get in this cycle where they start doing really well. They're worshiping God and everything's great. And then they take their eyes off him. They follow idols. They start doing detestable practices. And they get themselves into trouble. And then they cry out to God, God, please forgive us. And we come back. And you see this cycle. That's really what the Old Testament is about. This cycle that happens, them struggling with God for hundreds of thousands of years. And that's where we pick up the prophets, where I'm reading out of the Old Testament today. You have a group of men who came up and then decided to warn the people of Israel about what they're doing. 
And that's where we pick up in Joel. It's one of these prophets. As the people of Israel had sinned and turned their back, Joel pops up. And that's where we're at. And I love this. I think that sometimes, I I don't know if it's you, but sometimes I think that if I'm struggling with something, you know, I'll, I'll admit it, even though I'm a pastor, I went to Bible college, sometimes I'll even Google, like, verses for anxiety. And just kind of like go through and just kind of find things. And a lot of times I default towards New Testament verses. I don't know why. It just, sometimes it's easier to apply. But one thing that I love about the Old Testament, it's so rich. And there's so much love. We see God's character in the Old Testament in an amazing way. There's this great verse that I love as we get ready to jump into Joel. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. I don't have it on the board, but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul gives a history lesson, a short history lesson about the people of Israel and this struggling with God, as I talked about. And in verse 11, he says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. As Paul is giving Israel's history, they're saying the reason these things happened to them and that we know about them is because they're examples for us that we can live by. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the Israelites' example and God's response and use them as an example and how it can apply to our lives. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, so let's go. I'm going to go ahead and pick up in Joel chapter 1. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start off in prayer as we just dive into the text. So Lord, as we pray and we learn about your restoration in our lives, I just pray that as we unpack this idea that we would really see your heart as a heart who's soft towards us that you're a God who restores and that you're jealous for your people, Lord. And that even through our life of struggle, and even though we can be a people who is in constant struggle with you, you don't turn your back on us. Thank you for that. So in Joel chapter 1, I'll read up here, verse 2. I'll start out. It says, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locust locust swarm have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. It could be easy as you just kind of read through this and There's been times where you ever read through like a passage of scripture. You can just kind of quickly skim over it. And you can hear this locust swarm. It's like, man, that would be a bummer to have all these locusts kind of come through. We had a recent experience with an insect this past week. Uh, My wife shared about it on Facebook. And we're getting now that you have spring kind of coming into spider season, which I never really understood until I lived in the Northwest. And there was a spider that she saw on the ceiling that was massive. She said it was so big, she was afraid that she wouldn't be able to kill it. So she got out the vacuum and the little sucker to go out to suck the spider just so that way it would be gone. It would not fit into the vacuum. It was that big. It wouldn't fit. So as she's trying to like scrape this spider to get it in, it wouldn't suck. It falls and immediately runs into a closet where all of our shoes are. And it's just kind of like, and so it's like, what are you going to do? This thing will eat me if I try to... So she, she gets through and she removes, takes all the shoes out of the closet one by one, kind of shaking it, you know, pick the shoe up, throw the shoe on the ground, make sure that everything is there, gets all the shoes out and doesn't see the spider yet and just vacuums all in the closet and didn't see it. And she's like, okay, 
I'm just going to think that this spider just, we, I got it somehow. And right as she turned around, she saw the spider dart out and run towards the living room. She was able to get it and kill it. Um, so she wrote about it on Facebook. Pretty funny story. But see, when I, when I read about, like, locusts, that's kind of what I think of. Like, that would be very annoying to have a locust come through if I'm a farmer and have to deal with it. But what is important to realize that what is actually happening here is devastating. Joel says, has anything like this ever happened in your days? It's a rhetorical question. He's essentially saying, nothing like this has ever happened. The reason why locusts are so destructive is that they will kill and eat anything that's organic. So if you're a farmer, you have all your grains from last year that you have stored up in a granary. And you're planning on using that to live on for the next year as well as sell. All of it is gone. So imagine everything, all of your life savings, everything that you've stored up is just gone. A year's worth of wealth, gone in an instant. And then they eat all of your crops, everything that's out there. Well, that's everything that you are going to live on next year. Two years, gone. The way, as in, in an agrarian society, you then get seed for the year after that. You don't go to Home Depot or buy seeds off the internet. You use a portion of your crops that you're growing this year for next year. Year three, gone. Can you imagine waking up one day and you walk out and everything looks like the surface of the moon. Everything is gone. The locusts will literally dig up roots from the, from the plants and eat them. And everything is gone. Generations of wealth gone. When, you, when we look at Earth's history, you can see civilizations where a locust storm has come through and we have no idea what happened to them. They're just gone. Did they die? Did they just get up and scatter? We have no clue. You can see their history up until a certain point and they just scatter. This could have been Israel's story. Where a locust storm comes in, the Bible stops at Joel and it's gone. It's just, you don't know. So destructive and so scary. I think about what would I do in that situation? Think about how utterly horrible that would be. And then Joel stands up, this prophet, and says, hey, this happened because... You've turned away from the Lord. You are struggling with God. Something that they would have been very familiar with in their history. Because this has happened hundreds of years before, but this time it's different. This time, they're faced with their own extinction. And we see Joel's response, chapter 1, verse 13. He asks the people, he says, Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Have you had times in your life where you've just felt utterly destroyed? Whether it be through sin decisions that were made, not living the full extent of your life in Christ. Or I even think about some of the other innocent people who were affected by this tragedy. And we don't know if every single Israelite was wrapped up in sin, but at very least the children were innocent. They had nothing to do, but yet they still have to live out the consequences of somebody else's sin. Have you had times in your life where you're living the consequences of somebody else's sin where they wounded you? Or living in a fallen world, a death, or just something that's happened. It's so destructive. 
And I love Joel's. He's just saying, hey, let's come back to the Lord. Let's come to him. Whether you're innocent or guilty, let's just come to him and let's come and just lean into the Lord. And that should be our response. So the people got together. They got in an assembly. They cried out. They fasted and they prayed and they returned to the Lord, hoping to stem, to stop this destructive thing that can wipe them off the face of the earth. And then God responds to them. Chapter 2, verse 12, says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. That view of rend your heart and not your garments means come to me on the inside. Don't just, you know, tear your clothes in mourning. Uh, Kind of a nowadays way of saying it is like make an inward change, not an outward change. Don't just go through the motions. But come to me with your heart. And then this is... The part, the promise that I alluded to at the beginning, the promise that as you read it doesn't quite make sense, but I hold on to that. I hold on to it because it's so amazing. God responds, and this is God speaking here through Joel, and he says, The Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. That's what's so amazing about God's restoration in our lives. You see, because we could say, God, just bring me back to where I was. I've lost everything. If only I can just be brought back and I don't have to face my own destruction, that would be great. But I love that God comes and he says, no, 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 no. I will repay you for all that time. See, the locusts didn't eat the literal years. They ate the fruit of those years. They ate everything that was worked for so hard during that time and was gone. And this promise, I'll be honest, it's strange and it's wonderful. How can that be? Have you had times where you've mourned loss that you've had? I recently had an experience with that this past year. Um, I was on Facebook, and you have the memories section where you can look back on this year years ago. And... It's kind of fun with kids. You can kind of see them growing up. But me as a dad, I'm way different. I have four kids. I'm way different than I am now with Joel as I am, was with Gunner when he was born, my oldest. I was, a, I was a good dad in the sense that I provided for him, but I was extremely, just, I was going through my own stuff. I was a younger dad and just not really getting everything. And I was extremely emotionally distant from not only my son, but from Gina as well. I just really wasn't present. I would do the bare minimum. I would, you know, hold him when Gina needed a break. But I I was really, I don't know, 
just there. And the reason that it came up this past year is Facebook, the memory feed. There was a video of Gunner in our living room before Vivi or any of my other kids were born, and Gunner was doing something for the very first time. And Gina's filming him, and it just kind of goes over to me, and Gunner comes up to me, and I'm just laying down on the couch on my phone, just scrolling, doing something. Just didn't even look. Didn't even just kind of miss this moment in life, of Gunner's life. And Gunner just kind of wandered back to mom and did it. And, and I just remember feeling that, seeing that just this, a couple months ago, this, earlier this year. And I was just so sad. I was mourning that. I just said, man, I wish I knew now. I wish I knew then what I know now. I'm a kid's pastor. I know the importance of those formative years. And I was just like, it's gone. And I was like, well, what I'll do is, is I'll become the best dad I can for Jack and Joel, right? In their formative years, because that's already gone. And I felt that. The way that Joel deals with me is completely different than how Gunner deals with me. I have a bonding with Joel. If he falls, he'll most of the time come to me as opposed to mom, just because I am present. I put him to bed every single night for the past year. Joel, I, I didn't do that with Gunner. And I remember I was going through this and just mourning and just sad, almost kind of giving up. And the Lord brought me to this passage in Joel. And he said, do you truly believe that I can repay you for what was lost? And I was like, how? It's gone. And he was like, pray that I restore the relationship with Gunner. Not just bring it back, but all that stuff that you lost, all those experiences you lost in those years, I will bless it so much more abundantly now. And I'll tell you what, these past three months, Gunner, my relationship with Gunner has completely changed. It's completely changed. I don't know how the math works. Sometimes it would be easier if it's like, oh, I had X amount of dollars that were gone or X amount of pounds of grain, but God has restored my relationship with him. I love that this fantastical promise that I can hold on to it during this time. Yvonne Swint preached last week and through her preaching, I also kind of saw this concept of restoration. She, I, want, I don't want to skip over it because it was so beautiful. I didn't listen to her message, listen to it. It's online. But she had described how she had the plan of how her life was supposed to go. And at 19, she wrote out kind of, I want to have a family. And I want her mission statement and said, my goals are get a family, have some kids, become a pastor, and kind of all these things. And she got to 25 and 30, and she wasn't married yet. And going through the loss in the morning, and she describes just being utterly broken. So she ended up getting her doctorate degree and fostering a couple of girls. And she has two daughters now that she's gone through. And she had described how recently at a conference that she's ready to speak to thousands of people that God began to kind of bring her back and say, listen, look at what you've been able to do. It looked different than how you thought it would. And you feel broken, but through your brokenness, look what you're able to do. And she described, she said, I would not be able to do the things that I'm doing now if it would have gone my plan. And immediately when I heard that, I thought of this. And I said, it's God's restoration right there. All that sorrow and all that pain through all those years, she's now living the fullness of it where it's greater than she could have possibly imagined. God is so good. So as we uh, get to our application section, that's one thing that I just want to say to you. What is one area in your life where you need to be restored in? Is it sin that has prevented you from living in the fullness of Christ? Was it something that happened years ago? A mistake that was made that you just haven't told anybody about, but it's hollowing you out from the inside. Is it a marriage that you're involved in and it just feels so broken? It's beyond the point of restoration. 
Also think of just other tragedies that happen. Maybe the wounds of another in your family. Maybe somebody in this room who's wounded you so much. You said, I don't know how that could be restored. And you're sitting there and you're saying, God, if only you can bring it back. And if only you could bring my marriage back. Or if only I can be brought back. I had so many great things I wanted to do when I was younger. I wanted to be a missionary or a pastor or do this or do that. And I just haven't done it. And it's too late for me. And I'm telling you, it's not too late for you. And not only can he bring you back to where you were before, but all of that that you feel like was lost, he can give you now and leave behind a blessing. And you will be more powerful now than you ever would have been because you've walked through that. I hold on to that promise. And it's hard. Shame with sin and everything else, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. There's a, an author that I really like. Her name is Brene Brown. She, somebody likes, somebody likes Brene Brown. Um, she did a, a TED Talk. If you know what that is, it's like a talk that they give. And she talked about this concept of shame. And she calls herself a shame researcher. And what she did was that you boil down what shame actually is. It's fear of being cut off from your community is that it's if people truly knew what I have done or if people truly knew what's going through my head, they would want nothing to do with me. And the shame is what's making you afraid of all these bonds that they're going to be lost. And ironically, she says in the video that if you were to get shame in a Petri dish and you just want to kill it, ironically, and why shame can be so destructive is that it makes you want to clam up and hold on. But the way you get rid of shame is by vulnerability. And you just throw it out there and you become vulnerable to everybody else. Have you ever had somebody that you've spoken with, whether it be a speaker or you hear somebody's story, and they share things about themselves? You're like, I don't know. I wouldn't share that about myself. But whenever you hear that, I'm always drawn to them. I'm always like, look how vulnerable, look how great God is. And I think it's a lie that sometimes that make us feel as if we have to be silent and hold this in. So if you're feeling that way, come talk to us. Come talk to Lance. Come talk to me. I'll tell you what, I've been a pastor for 10 years in a bunch of different roles. There ain't nothing you're going to tell me that I ain't already heard. Like, that was a big realization with me when dealing with my own sin, when Gina just kind of said, like, John, you're not that special of a person. You're not the only one who goes through this. And it's true. You know, come to us. And if you're also dealing with just loss, tragedy, a death, somebody else whose wounds... That's not beyond restoration. So I think the point of the sermon as I close and as I end, I just want us to realize that God's heart towards us is soft. I think sometimes we can think that it's not, that it's hard. And we can be living in our life and say, the reason that I'm here now is because God has punished me and it's, it's gone, I can't get back. And that's a lie. God's heart is soft towards us. God is a God who wants to restore us. That's who he is. He wants to bring beauty to ashes. And I hold on to those promises. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us right now. If you can just lift out your hands as we go and pray. I'd just like to pray for you. And as I, as I pray, just begin to think of something that needs to be restored in your life right now. Father, we hold on to your promises. I'm always amazed, Lord, as we get into your word and as we begin to study these wonderful truths in the Bible that 
things and your nature are so much better than I think they are. I pray for those in this room who need restoration. People in in this room, myself included, who have areas that have just been utterly destroyed. Things that we have done through choices of our own or other choices that people have made towards us that make us feel excluded. I thank you that the examples that were laid out by our spiritual ancestors show us that it's not too late, that even when faced with our own destruction, it's not too late for us. That even though we struggle with you, even though we're locked in this and we can continue to make some of the same choices over and over again, you won't turn your back on us. You can restore us, you can pay us back, and you can leave behind a blessing till we're satisfied fully. I pray this next week for everyone in here, help us as we begin to see in life things that we need to be restored of. I pray that you would allow us to go through this period of restoration and that we would be a restored church. And I pray for Puget Sound Foursquare too. It could be many things and many things that people may think that we're a good church for. The preaching is really great or the worship is great. But Lord, I pray that we would be a church where it's like, all that is great, but I know that that is one place where I can experience God's restoration in my life. That we would be a beacon of restoration for the community around us. praise you and thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Can we say thank you to Pastor John? He's awesome. What an amazing word. Love what you said, John, when you said that though we may struggle with God, doesn't define the fact that we're chosen or not. I love that. Every one of us are in a position where I know that when I listen to this message and, and I hear the, uh, the urgency inside of it, isn't it amazing to know that we have a God who, whose, whose math is better than one plus one? I mean, we have a God whose math is able to take that which was absolutely obliterated and, and, and somehow restore it. What does that mean? How do you have a marriage that was was is no longer and and it was broken and it's gone or how do you find restoration in that I, I don't know man but i know that god can restore those broken years how do you have a life that was hurt by parents or uncles or aunts or cousins or brothers or whoever that no longer are in your life how do you find that that can be rest restored i don't know but again love what you said, John, that that God can restore what was, what is, and what is to come, and he will. The real key then is for how will we respond to that? You get to go away today and and, and enjoy the wonderful weather. It's going to be great. You can say, wow, good word. Or you can leave here today and say, God, how's that word supposed to change me? How's it supposed to change me? Could you imagine if you actually believe this stuff? Or could you get this? Could you imagine if you left here thinking, God, you're going to restore what was taken from me? There's times when I think, even as a dad for my life, how I, I didn't get the. I, I think I remember one time I shared this with you, but I was preaching on a Father's Day one day, and I, I heard, I was talking about the role of a dad and all that stuff, and man, this girl came up to me. It, was, it wasn't this church, it was a church we pastored before this, and boy, she was mad, mad as a hornet. And, and I was like, why are you so mad? She said, Lance, it must be easy for you to talk about being a father 
Because you probably came from a home where you had such a great daddy who cared for you and loved you and told you you're going to be wonderful. Well, not me, man. And she started to tell me her story about how awful her experience was. Little did she know. <laughs> I come from a home of brokenness. I have mom, my mom and my, my biological mom and dad. Between the two of them, there's seven divorces. Broken. I remember my, my, my stepdad telling me that I was dumb and I'd never be smart. I, I'm telling you, and how do I know that God can restore? Because I am who I am today. And I'll level with you. I think I'm the greatest dad my kids would ever know. And I hope that you feel that way about your kids. I love that. Why? Because God took what was and restored it. Some of you think, well, I lost my window with my kids. I love what Pastor John said. No, you didn't. You get an opportunity now. What if they're grown and outside your house, you're still their mommy. You're still their daddy. Go, go, go daddy them up. Come on. Amen? Good word. Thank you. It's tremendous. Hey, listen, I want to remind you here in a couple of weeks, April 1st, Easter, we're going to have three church services here in our building, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. So it's going to be our, a full house. We want you to know that. Here's my prayer for you is, is say this phrase with me. Each one, I'll say it like you mean it. Say each one, reach one. One more time. Each one, reach one. I want to know who you are going to invite to church on Easter Sunday so that they can hear a salvation message. They get to experience incredible music and good fellowship and then a message that helps them see that God so loved the world that he sent his son into us so that we can have salvation. Let's pray right now for who you're supposed to invite to church, right? Now, don't just say, because my wife invited someone, I don't have to. <laughs> you know what I love about that? I love the fact that we all get an opportunity to invite somebody, and then when they get here, your job is to explain what in the world's going on. I love it when new people come and they're sitting there going like, why are they standing up? Why are they, why are they lifting their hands? What's that? How come that guy's closing his eyes and singing words that aren't on the screen? <laughs> I love that one time somebody started singing a song in the spirit and they thought, is he just making words up? It's like, no, man, he gets this crazy rest time with God and worship. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for Easter coming up. Thank you that literally this means an opportunity for someone to find you. I pray, God, that these men and women, that you'll show us who's the one we're supposed to reach. I think you've given every one of us an opportunity to be sent to our schools, to our workplaces, to our homes, God. Each one of us, every kid, every, every husband, every father, every man, woman, uh, every mother, God, that you've called each of us to come and reach one person. Show us who it is, God, and invite them to come to a place where they'll see Jesus. In your son's name, amen. Amen.